Hi, welcome to the Winners Find a Way show and podcast with your host, Trent M. Clark, three-time World Series coach, CEO of Leadershipity, serial entrepreneur, having started 12 companies, coach to the 1%, and an international speaker. This show is going to be your go-to podcast for facing adversity, being inspired, and overcoming obstacles, all from the best in the world, business, sports, and leadership. Hate the crappy ingredients in many beverages and energy drinks? Rebellious Infusions are the go-to functional beverage. They have five or fewer plant-based organic ingredients. No sugar, no calories, loaded with antioxidants to boost your immune system, and L-thionine for brain health. Rebellious Infusions are available at drinkrebellious.com. Rethink your drink. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Hello, welcome to the Winners Find a Way Show. I am your host, Trent Clark, Coach Trent Clark, and I am excited and thrilled to be having my friend Jeff Blackman of Blackman Associates join me today. Jeff, how are you doing? I am doing great on this wintry morning here in Chicago. Thanks, Trent. That is, I am so excited that this talk, I mean, you're an author of six books. You just worked with some fabulous people in your life companies, organizations, leaders, athletes, Olympians, astronauts. I mean, Jeff, and you're, you know, you're a radio guy, you're a TV guy, like, and, and probably what most people don't know about Jeff Blackman, just thinking off the top of my head here is that you are in the national speaker association hall of fame. This is true. That, that is no joke, man. There, I think there's less than 150 people in the world in the Hall of Fame. Is that right? I think in our Speaker Hall of Fame, the number's closer, approximately, plus or minus a few, to about 264 of professional okay. in the speakers. world. In the world. Yeah, 200. That's, I that's, think ballpark about That's amazing. That's rare air. It ain't that rare error. Just people working really, really hard to perfect their craft and make a difference for others. I think it's pretty special, man. Well, You're a you. Chicago kid, you know, kind of suburbs area, Niles West. And uh, boy, grad, IIT grad. I mean, tell me this. You know, you've got a law degree. Did you ever practice law? I mean, was that something like, hey, I'm going to be a lawyer. This is going to be awesome. Well, what you well know professionally and also from your baseball career with the Indians and with the Angels and the Tigers, it's important to follow what you call the dream or what others might call passion. So I really wanted Trent to be a lawyer growing up because as a kid of the 1960s, so much of my life was really being influenced by television. So I would watch things like Perry Mason or judge for the defense. Mm. So my perception was, oh, that's what attorneys do is they're always in court and they always litigate. (laughs) So I couldn't wait to get to law school. My dad, who passed away a few years ago, dad passed away in February of 19. He was a CPA and he was a lawyer and he happened to be the most published CPA and lawyer in the world. So that was the environment that I grew up in. It was one of a professional and an academic pursuit. So I knew I didn't want to be an accountant, but I went, oh, what those guys do on television, I want to do that. And then you quickly discover when you get to law school, litigators want to avoid litigating. They don't want to go to court because it's expensive and it's time consuming and it's exhausting. And I've got friends who do practice who have litigated and they do everything they can to find a way to settle before they get to court. And I did well in law school. So I made the dean's list and I won with another fella moot court competition as a freshman. But I went, I don't think I want to practice law. And my dad said, okay, 
If you don't think you want to do that because you're not passionate about it, go to law school at night, work during the day with what you think your passion is, follow your passion, son. And when you follow your passion, money will then find you because you love what it is that you do. And that's what I did. So I went to law school at night, worked harder than I ever had to in my life because I really had a, for the first time now in my 20s, truly manage my time, which meant I had to truly manage me because I was working during the day on Michigan Avenue for a small little ad agency. That's my undergraduate degree from the University of Illinois. And then I also sold radio time for a small little radio brokerage company. Graduate law school, did well, sit for the bar exam, thankfully pass it the first time. Many don't, but thankfully I wanted to have it done and behind me. And that's the significance of preparation, which we'll talk about as it applies to athletics or how preparation applies to business. And now I'm interviewing. So I'm actually interviewing with law firms, Trent, and I leave these interviews and I feel nauseous <laughs> because my gut tells me you're kind of a lying SOB. You don't want to practice law. You're not going to be passionate about it. Why are you doing this to the folks who are interviewing you and to yourself? Now I'm offered two jobs to litigate. And this is in the summer of 1982. My wife, Cheryl, and I are getting married at the end of August. And we've now been married for just over 40 years. Mm -hmm. And on 4th of July week in 1982, I blow my knee out again playing softball. The doctor says, we want to get you down the aisle. We want to avoid plaster. I'm able to limp down the aisle. I can't dance at our wedding. I'm on one of those little scooters, that little board with the four wheels. Mm -hmm. So that's how I'm moving about on the dance floor, so to speak. My wife asked me during our honeymoon, Jeffrey, which law firm do you want to practice at? I went, honey, I've decided I don't want to practice law. And she says, what? I said, I don't want to practice law. She says, what? are you going to do? I went, I don't have a clue. And I did it. I truly didn't know what I wanted to do. Thankfully, she was working as an occupational therapist. And so therefore we lived off her salary for close to six to seven years. And I decided that first year, 82 to 83 in our marriage, I would speak. Trent, I had no clue what that meant. <laughs> first year I grossed. Are you ready? You want to hear my revenue? $3,000 gross revenue. But the good news was I found my passion. And people say, so what's happened to your gross revenue since that humble beginning in 1982? I went 3,000 beginning. We have doubled. We hit 6,000. No, we, we've done a little bit better than 6,000 in gross revenue. Yeah. But the point is I follow my passion. And whenever I talk to entrepreneurs who say, gee, do you think I'll be successful? I go, not up to me to answer. That's up to you. Yeah. Entrepreneurs, especially as you well know, you're going to work harder than you ever had to work because it's your responsibility and your self accountability. Yeah. You know, when I think about looking at your life and you're going through those times of like, I want to do what I'm doing, I'm passionate about what I'm doing in the day, working at night. I mean, this is where I think that crossover of the athletes and the entrepreneurs comes together, which is you get very used to managing time. Being doing these hard things because you're just passionate about doing them. You're just built that way. And it's accomplishing a number of things, but it doesn't feel like you're ever really accomplishing anything. You're very busy and you're working very hard. And oftentimes 
you don't see the end result. I mean, how many teams go through the season going, hey, the end result is a conference title. You know, University of Illinois is going to be Big Ten champs, and we all do the whole offseason, and we work our tails off, and then finish third. And you're like, well, we didn't hit our goal. I mean, there's lots of ups and downs along the way, and it doesn't work out exactly like you'd hope. But, man, it's a battle, and then you come back and do it again the next year. I mean, it's you got to get used to the battle and and that busyness, that urgency in the game. And I'm looking for people like that to be to surround myself and our businesses all the time. We just had this discussion the other day and I'd love to get your opinion on it. You know, the NIL world has hit college athletes, right? Mm-hmm. And there is, I mean, significant money out there, Jeff. I mean, it's real. I mean, it's a little bit better than the 3000 you made in that first year. <laughs> I mean, you can come out of the out of the woodwork and hustle a little bit and, you know, probably make a thousand bucks a month you know, pretty quick. And man, I couldn't, I think it was pretty tough for me to make $12,000 when I was in college playing two sports at a division one school. It's not easy. And so when I look back at that, man, one of the people asked me on a panel, like, how do you recognize which athletes are willing to do the time, Mm -hmm. right? Willing to do the time. My deal was is, Hey, I always interview them and ask them, what have they accomplished? What Mm -hmm. are they most proud of? What do they do in their downtime? And mm-hmm. when they say, I don't have any downtime, I love that, right? <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah, if they told me they just bought, you know, just watched four Netflix series over Christmas, like, I'm, I'm not thrilled, man. Like, I want to see people actually going towards their passion and doing it, right? And taking action. What, what do you think, Jeff, when you think about people that are really accomplishing things? Well, to accomplish anything, the focus first is always on what's the goal? What's the desired result? And what's so interesting is we chat early January, mid-January. This is a time that I often refer to as the January juggernaut, eventually the February fade or the March meltdown. As you and I both know, if you turn on the television, the radio, pick up a newspaper, what do we hear commercials and ads for, Trent? Fitness centers diet opportunities. Why? I want to lose weight. I resolve. And people say to me, do resolutions work? And I go, do you want reality or do you want rhetoric? They go, oh, no, no. Let me know. Do resolutions work? And I go, no, of course they don't work. They go, why? Resolutions are about reducing, diminishing, eliminating, deleting things from your life or adding things to your life that are untested, unproven, and likely to cause discomfort. But when you've got a goal that's specifically measurable, then it makes it a lot easier to attain what you're pursuing. Metrics are important. They can be qualitative. They can be quantitative. But that's why it's so important to know what does somebody desire to do, and then how do we measure it? And when I coach people, I give them a very simple success formula because I want to know what it is they like to accomplish. And I let them know that specificity is far better than generality. And I actually Mm -hmm. share that with a client sales pro yesterday. And I said, okay, now that I see your goals, you're headed in the right direction, but you're communicating them in generality, not specificity. Mm -hmm. So the success formula is very simple. I will do X by Y. It's the what, the X, the when, by Y, meaning I will do this behavior by this date. Then it's targeted. Then it's focused. You and I show up at the airport, whether it's going to be in Michigan, Illinois, anywhere in the world, what question do they ask us? Where are you headed? (laughs) 
we've got a destination, we got a flight number, and we've got a knowledge as to when it leaves. Imagine if you're showing up at the airport. Hey, buddy, where are you headed? I don't know. Why don't you pick the city? Yeah. And that really goes to what I call the world's fastest strategic plan. And I allude to this in both the fifth edition of Peak Your Profits, as well as in the new book, Bullseye. And it's really simple, Trent. It's just three questions. Where are you? Where would you like to be? And how do you want to get there? Where are you? Where would you like to be? And how do you want to get there? And then we can focus on the specific behavior and the action. And I always tell people you're not compensated and we can put compensation in quotes because it applies to your personal life as well. You're not compensated for intent. You're compensated for results. And when all is said and done, more should not be said than done. Don't tell me about your grandiose plans. Tell me about your phenomenal results because you did something. And that's why I encourage people to eliminate words like I'll try, Mm -hmm. I'll attempt. No, you won't. You will either do it or you won't do it. Ain't nothing in between. And that's so good. Okay. So six time author. Jeff Blackman joins us today on the Winners Find a Way show. You, you know, your your fifth edition of Peak Your Profits is is massive one. But you know, in December you released Bullseye, hitting your targets at home and at work in three days. That hit three bestseller lists. Amazing start to December. Great holiday release, by the way, Jeff. Good smart move. It was four days. I can't think. Oh, about was it four days? days? Oh, my, it was, my bad. It was my bad. four I, days. I stand corrected. It took four <laughs> days. So you know, big, really cool. Now you know your your history has been sales, production, growth, development. This bullseye sounds a little bit differently, different than the rest. Like what what inspired the home and work like that. That really caught my eye. Talk to me about that. It is interesting that they say it's different. So you just alluded to Peak Your Profits, the fifth edition, which is this book. And you can see it's thick. So this is a big how-to book. Now, along the way, what people tell me they appreciate is that it's written just the way that I talk. So it's friendly and folksy and conversational. One of my buddies, Eddie Wallovich, and Eddie and I have really been friends since freshman year of high school. And he's been a very, very successful sales pro and sales leader with a variety of companies. And Eddie has brought me into three different companies to speak to them at either user conferences or national sales conferences. And he said to me, JB, because I call him Eddie and he calls me JB, which is Mm -hmm. what most people do. He said, hey, I started to read your book on a plane and I thought you were sitting next to me because it's so friendly and conversational Mm. in tone. But the real distinction between that And the book you just alluded to, which is now Bullseye, in Bullseye is kind of a little guy by comparison. And if you read a cover to cover, hour and 30, hour and 45 minutes, you're done. But it's not intended to be a how-to book. Instead, it's inspirational and motivational, but also from what people are telling me, really valuable because at the end of each story or chapter, they're short stories. They might only be 150 or 200 words or a wee bit longer even. There's what we call bullseye breakthroughs and boosters where I give suggestions or ask questions as to how you can apply the content that you just read, whether it's about my experience with Mark Cuban or with 
Caitlyn Jenner, who I knew as Bruce Jenner when I interviewed him on my radio show in mm. Chicago. Jim Lovell, the Apollo 13 astronaut. Bill Russell, the iconic basketball player and the lessons that I learned from him. So it's a more inspirational, motivational. But at the same time, people are saying it's really helping them professionally as well as personally, because those two things are intertwined. Whenever yeah. people talk about balance, I don't know what balance really means because it's not like you work, I'm done. Now it's time for my home life. Those things are intertwined, as you well know, with family. You're always thinking about them, even when you're at work. Mm -hmm. And you might be thinking about work, even when you're at home. And I don't have an issue with that, because it shows that you're creative, that you've got an active mind, and you're always looking at what you can do to help others. Because there are really only two driving motivators, Trent, for any individual in terms of what others want to achieve. So I always focus on how do I help others improve their condition? That's the present. And then what do I do to help them attain a more favorable future? And, and yeah. that's the future. And if you do those two things for others, you're going to do the exact same thing for yourself. And that's really the purpose of Bullseye is to give you a perspective about what's important to you personally as well as professionally, because they go hand in hand. They are not mutually exclusive. Yeah, I always get a kick out of the people in our coaching, in our entrepreneurial way. People talk about a lifestyle business. Oh, that's a lifestyle business. I said, hey, listen, all businesses are lifestyle businesses. <laughs> if you want to run a billion-dollar operation, that's a lifestyle you're going to choose, right? And and the commitment that's going to take to get to that position is going is not going to be without sacrifice. And and you're going to choose that in your lifestyle and how that's going to affect your family. And the folks who say, "Hey, listen, I intertwine, you know, 20 hours a day with my family and four hours on my business, and that's all I'm going to limit to do, and that's all I'm willing to do, and that's a lifestyle business." Guess what? It's all what we choose in our lifestyle, right? Like, and I don't care what anybody says. I, I love these thoughts as you get from your interviews with these folks. When you kind of come back to this Cuban, Jerry Seinfeld, you know, astronaut, Bruce Jenner, now Caitlin, right? Bill Russell, I mean, just an iconic athlete and leader. Mm -hmm. What were some of the similarities you saw in all these folks that you thought like, hey, here's a commonality that you find in their framework? What an interesting question, because winners do have certain commonalities. The first universal commonality of winners is you well know, especially from your athletic career. And I learned in my athletic career, although my athletic career really stopped in terms of peak performance, so to speak, through my high school years and yours, because you had really a far different level of talent and that's one thing is to appreciate what your talents are and therefore operate based upon your strengths. But winners are willing to do the things that most others are not. And it's not just about talent. It's about how will I manage myself and my time, which means saying no to other things in your life. People always ask me about time management and I go, no, you can't manage time. You get 1440. They go, huh? 1,440 minutes a day. That's all you get. So yeah. the question is, how do you choose to use those? And I'll give you universal application in terms of what winners are willing to do. As you well know, winners will always find a way. And typically, there are some exceptions, but typically it's ethical and it's legal and they will do the right things to achieve success. They will not cheat. 
They will not bend the truth. They will not try to manipulate the situation. They will bust their butt, put in the sweat equity and the hard work to attain the right result. Example, in 2000, I'm pretty sure it was in 2000, I was asked by a client and a client happened to be in the sports entertainment world. One of the things that they did was they would book professional athletes and celebrities for speaking engagements. Sure. So they asked me to consult with Bill Russell because Bill created a message around his Celtic pride. He played 13 seasons with the Boston Celtics, 13 seasons, 11 championships, gold medal winner, one of the top NBA players of all time in the NBA Hall of Fame. And HBO picked him as the greatest, not athlete of the 20th century, Trent, but the greatest winner of the 20th century. So he develops this message around Celtic pride. And my client asked me to work with Bill to help him in terms of his speaking performance and presentation to best connect with an audience. So we met, and again, I think it was about 2000 at a Chicago hotel near O'Hare Airport. And we probably spent about an hour together. And one of the most fascinating things that he told me is because I asked him about his preparation. And his preparation included because he was one of the greatest NBA rebounders of all time. And he averaged, averaged 22 and a half rebounds per game. So I said, how did you do that? And he said, Jeff, what most people do is they follow the ball. What I did is I studied the habits of the shooters, the propensity as to where they might release. Is it going to be from the top of the key? Is it going to be an attempt to drive the paint? And he said, what I would do if I knew their propensities, I didn't go to where the ball was. I went to where the ball would be headed to. In essence, the same theory that Gretzky incorporated in hockey. He would go to where the puck was headed to next, and he wouldn't follow the puck to be able to be one of the greatest scorers of all time. And as a result of that, Russell knew where the ball was going to bounce based upon how it hit the glass, how it hit the rim. Now, that's an impressive story. Here's what blew me away, though. I said, you were also one of the greatest rebounders and then no look or blind passers to get the ball up the court quickly to a streaking Celtic teammate. Two points. How'd you do that? He says, first of all, it wasn't a blind pass. He said, anyone who threw a blind pass implies that they couldn't see where they were throwing the ball. He said, Jeff, that would be stupid. And he was really smart, Trent. So here's what he did. And Bill Russell then stood before me. Now, I tower at five foot nine. He's only he's only got like a foot and a half on you. <laughs> he's, he's got a few inches on me. So he stands at his enormous six foot ten plus wingspan, and he takes his arms and he spreads them out to both sides. And he said, what I did is I worked every day on my peripheral vision. I said, how'd you do that? He said, every day I would take my hands and spread them a little bit further apart. Every day they would get further away from me. And he said, as I extended my hands, my peripheral vision improved. He said, I would grab the ball And through my peripheral vision acuity, I could then hit a streaking teammate who might throw another pass or simply with one or two steps or maybe a quick dribble, two points. Mm. Then here's what he said. He said, you have to expand your peripheral vision 
and remove from your life peripheral distractions. How good is that, Trent? Well, yeah, because like let's look at let's just buy that up in his world, right? You catch a ball and then your peripheral vision is going to be somewhere between three to six players. In addition, a table of media and fans all over the place and a referee, you know, just keep going. There's all sorts of things in the peripheral vision, even a vendor selling beer down the aisle, right? Like all these things are there. So I'm looking for the green or white Jersey in my peripheral vision. And I also know who my two guards are that, and, and what their tendencies are going to do, where they're going to be. They see this out. They're going to release. This is where they're supposed to be. And Sometimes I'm throwing that in the event that I know that they're there. I see them moving in a glance, but I also know they've been there now two or 3,000 times that I've been able to make this outlet pass. So I get very good at recognition of that. Like, And it's amazing how much distractions in our periphery. And, and I think it's one of the things I really miss uh, as an athlete to mm. regular people. Right. And I don't want to say regular. I don't know what that word means, but just for people who haven't lived in that world, who've had to bring, you know, you remember for love of the game with Costner, right? And he's like, clear the mechanism, right? And then the whole thing kind of comes down. He's got the focus thing, all the crap. That is so common for athletes. Like, I don't even think about that. Like that's not, I've been trained up to live in that world since I was 10 years old. Mm -hmm. So when someone says, Hey, did you see that person in the back crowd yelling and during your free throw? I'm like, what are you talking about person in the crowd? Like Mm -hmm. there's a crowd here. Like, I I don't even know that I got a focused job to do. And whatever happens outside of that rectangle in this basketball game that has no value to me. It has zero value to what's about to happen or what may happen or how it affects this game. So it's lost to me. You and didn't see it. You didn't hear it. I don't hear it. So therefore, it's not part of your world because you're so seniorly focused. And so interesting that you say that, Trent. So Bruce Jenner. So I let people know I don't know Caitlin. <laughs> that's that's probably good. It's probably good that you know you 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 seg- you segregate that you haven't known him throughout the whole thing. Well, what I mean by that though, and I write about this in the book, and was based upon originally a newspaper column because I had a series of newspaper columns around the country too. When I first wrote about my experience with Bruce or Caitlin, is that I really don't talk about his decision in terms of okay. I now want to live my life as a woman in terms of transgender decision, but I allude to it actually in the book because when he was being interviewed by Diane Sawyer, I went, that's classic Jenner because what he did is he said, I was preparing for this my entire life. And Bruce Jenner, when people ask me about him and I now refer to Bruce as Caitlin as well, because that's the desired preference of how he, she lives their life now but telling the story of when I first met him, people said, well, what was Bruce Jenner like? I went, he was one of the kindest, most gracious, smartest, funniest guests that I ever spent time with. He was nothing but terrific. He and I hung together. He stayed after the interview to take pictures with other folks from the WFYR radio team. I've got a picture on my wall of us spending time together. And if you like that original picture that you can share with your listeners and viewers, more than happy to share that with you because he was just a really terrific individual. But here's what I learned from him. 
So when I interviewed him, and this is in the 1980s, I said, tell me about the feeling of winning the gold in 1976 in Montreal. Yeah, I just want to step in for a second. Yeah. I want people to recognize, like, he won the gold in the decathlon, right. which is often in the Olympics known as the world's greatest athlete. You have to compete in 10 events, of right. which you don't win all 10, right. but it's a combination of all 10 where you have to do things like, wait a minute, now I've done this, now you got to do this. And this is the, the common you know, debate of pro athletes. Like, oh, well, who's the best athlete? Is it the baseball players? Is it the hockey player? Like, everyone's got a debate around that, right? But this is actually where you go out and prove it in 10 events in track and field mm-hmm. to prove that you are the best athlete in the world. So right. I, I want to stress that because in 1976, Bruce Jenner was the best athlete in the world. And, and I think backing up what you just said, Jeff, I don't think there's a lot of Olympic gold champions. But not everybody donned the cover of Wheaties, you know, and man, (laughs) given his character, I thought that brought in why Wheaties chose a guy like that, because we could stand behind him and our brand and feel very good about that as a Mm -hmm. person of Mm -hmm. integrity and humility. Mm hmm. So and keep I going. Just, I'm sorry. I, I wanted to. I want to interject that for people who don't know what that value is in that Olympic gold. It was a big deal. Need to hydrate but tired of plain old water? You need Rebellious Infusions. No sugar, no calories. Loaded with antioxidants to boost your immune system. And L-thionine for brain health. Ten organic flavors and convenient liquid packets. Just add 16 ounces and you are on your way. Rethink your drink at drinkrebellious.com. For 10% off your next purchase, use the code 99999. If you are a business or organization leader and want expert advice, coaching, and guidance to help you build your team to be the best, then email Trent directly at trent at leadershipity.com or connect with him at Trent M. Clark on LinkedIn.